When you think of surfing, you think of fresh salty air, blue water, big waves crashing on the beach, sunshine and nature. But if you look a bit closer at your average modern day surfboard, it's far from natural. Over 80% of surfboards are made from polyurethane foam, fiberglass and polyester resin. They're cheap to make at scale, but they're not quite the innocent wooden planks of old times. Our guest today is 32-year-old Wellingtonian Jack Candlish. Jack is an industrial designer living in Ophiro Bay with partner Claire, son Hugo and dog Devon. After six years building cafes and making furniture, he set out on a mission to make the world's most sustainable surfboards. Years later, his company Organic Dynamic is making big waves in the global surfing industry, producing over 100 boards a year. So to talk about design, business and sustainable surfing, welcome Jack. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Ollie, thanks for having me. So good to have you here, man. So how, how have you managed through lockdown? Not being able to surf must have been hard. Yeah, um, we, we only actually had one good day where it, it would have been um, yeah nice to get out, and it just so happened to be the biggest swell that I've seen in probably 10 years. Um, oh, no. That was quite hard, but um, to be honest, we actually where we live, we actually got locked in. Like Our road got blocked off. It was that big Wednesday swell that came through. So even if we were allowed, I wouldn't have been able to get out of the house anyway. So it wasn't too bad. Nice one. So you've been keeping busy during lockdown. Yeah, I, I um, picked up some essential work making like sneeze guards for supermarkets and um, little protective things for essential businesses. And so I worked for a couple of weeks and then had a couple of weeks just spending time with family and um, doing some stuff around the house. And yeah, so it hasn't been too bad, mate. Had it pretty light, to be fair. Cool, cool. But bet you're itching to get back into the workshop and yeah, yeah, I came back last week and um, you yeah, spent a few days just kind of getting organised and tidying up and then back making boards now and it's it's really good to have sort of some sense of normality. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Working by myself though, which is kind of, it's fine. Looking forward to when I can get some other guys in to help out, you know. So how, tell me a bit more about Organic Dynamic. How, how did that come to life? As you said in the intro, I used to make like furniture for a living and build cafes around Wellington and make a few products here and there. And I got back into surfing about maybe sort of seven or eight years ago and just sort of started out buying boards. And then when I was, when I damaged them, I'd repair them myself in the workshop that we had. And I started to notice that the fumes from the polyester uh, resin polyester resin is like the most popular sort of surfboard resin it's quite cheap and it's easy to work with and stuff causing pains in my like lower back which is where your kidneys are so i was like that's not very good went on there and then surfing's always been like a really you know surfing's always been like you know for me about getting out and enjoying nature and immersing myself in like a natural environment and it's like relaxating like after that i sort of started a bit of research and i learned what surfboards are actually made from and then that was kind of contradictory to you know, what surfing meant to me and so i sort of set out to try and make my own board using entirely timber and i at the time i had like a little laser cutter and went online and did some research and found that you could like make these hollow wooden boards by like laser cutting like a fuselage and then gluing them all together and so i made a few of those and then they were pretty average to be fair just sort of started developing them, just making boards for myself, probably for about a year or two, made about 20 or 30 boards, and then started getting a little bit better. People started writing them, and they liked them, and they wanted me to make them one, so I made them one, and then it just sort of went from there, and I sort of got to the point three years ago now where I was working sort of 40, 50 hours a week making furniture and building cafes, and then another sort of 30 or 40 hours making surfboards, and I had to make a call and, you know, decide if I was going to pursue the surfboards as a full-time thing or keep it as a hobby. But the missus wasn't too happy about the hours that I was working. And so I had to make a call and I um, took the plunge. 
had a chat to my business partners and I leased a little bit of our workshop just specifically for surfboard manufacturing and went from there and then later started to sort of downscale and then that was at that point I had to sort of find my own space and that's when I leased a little building down in Lyle Bay and set up a full factory down here and bought my own machines and that's a cool story man it's like the classic organic sort of growth curve of a small Kiwi business and you reach that that turning point where you've just got to take that leap no looking back yeah I kind of had to do it that way as well because I wouldn't have been able to afford to give up the full-time work and jump into it without you know the orders there but then yeah it was a nice way of doing it it was pretty full-on when I was doing those sort of 90 hundred hour weeks and stuff and but yeah it was, it was sort of the, I think it was the right way to go so you're still full-time now or are you or are you doing a bit of the um, cafe and furniture work on the side I, I always sort of focus on the surfboards and I usually have like enough well it's been a bit quiet lately with the COVID stuff and the surfing ban but before lockdown like I was usually had like a kind of month backlog of orders so I was doing sort of 50 60 hours making surfboards and then I've only really been doing odds and sods during lockdown just because I obviously wasn't allowed to make the surfboards then they're not deemed essential I help out mates from time to time with bits and pieces but no, I usually focus solely on surfboards, and I've been focusing solely on surfboards for about two years. So tell me a bit more about the boards. What's so special about them? So we, we obviously set out to build the most sustainable surfboard that we can, but we still wanted it to meet the performance criteria of the top surfers. And I've sort of always had a strong affection for timber, and I knew that early on that was going to be an integral part of the board. And I've just been kind of experimenting with different materials and different constructions to try and create, tick those boxes. So, that, you know, that lightweight, strong, nice flex, but still be made from really sustainably sourced materials. And so at the moment, we're making boards from 100% recycled building waste. Obviously, there's been a few earthquakes in Wellington a few years ago, and lots of buildings got demolished. And a lot of those buildings have polystyrene as the insulation material. And so we've we source that material and we use that material in the center of our boards. And we, if we don't use it, it we go to landfill. So it's all kind of like trying to yeah, keep that stuff out of landfill for as long as possible. And then we skin them with a New Zealand grown timber called Polonia, which is grown at a dairy farm in Te Uamutu. On the, on the sort of sides of the boards, the rails of the boards are made out of stacked bendy ply, which comes from Fiji. And that's what gives the boards the strength and the flex. And then we coat our boards with a plant-based epoxy, which is made by a company in America called Entropy. That's about it. And that's the sort of our sort of stable product that we make at the moment. And then we're actually, the last six months, we've been doing some R&D and working with some different materials. And we're probably maybe two months away from launching all that. That's exciting. That's pretty cool. So this this bioresin, is that like made from like a, like a plant-based resin, yeah. is it? Yeah, so the base material in that is pine sap. And then they use some waste chemicals, which they source from other like manufacturers in their area. And then there probably will be some virgin chemicals in there. And they don't actually disclose the full recipe for obvious reasons. But they say that it's like, I think, 80% reduction on environmental impact over polyesterism. And I think the one that I use is like 33% plant-based. So there's still a little bit of the, um, the polymer in there, but... But overall, still an 80% reduction is, is good, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we've also been working, like one of, some of the R&D that we've been doing has been based around plant-based oils as an alternative to epoxy, and we've had some good results there. So when we like launched our new range of products, there'll be we'll still use that resin to glue the wood and the foam together, but the exterior coating will be all plant-based and it'll be like biodegradable. So are, are all your boards hand, handmade or have you got some some automated processes in there pretty nerdy man like like we've got a cnc machine which cuts all the parts and then we've got a couple of 
these big like reconfigurable molds. So they're like 15, one's a 15 axis and one's like 11 axis mold, which sets up the rocker of the board so that when we glue the components together, we maintain the curve. So that, like most of the work's done on machines and then they're all hand finished and the coating process and stuff's all done by hand, obviously. And we always kind of refine them by hand. So like, we'll we'll do the grunt work on the machines and then we'll do the final detailing and stuff by hand. But if I was to make a board entirely by hand, it would cost sort of $4,000, you know, whereas with the machines, I can make a board and compete with our like sort of other similar products in the market. Yeah, you've kind of got to, you got to balance that, right? Absolutely. It looks man. like you've got like a beautiful finished product. You know, there's that hand finishing, but you're still leveraging some, some automation to, um, to compete. Yeah, totally. And, and we still offer like the full custom service. So like we, we still, you know, someone comes in, they want to, something similar to what we kind of have made before and they might pick up a board that we've got in the rack and say, oh, I like that, but I want the tail thinner, a little bit more volume here. And we can still do all that. We, it's just done in, in the computer instead of by hand. And all our production systems are sort of set up so that because everything's kind of like reconfigurable or adaptable, it's just kind of like maybe 10 minutes set up and we're ready to make that specific board. Awesome. So that kind of, yeah, so you still get the benefit of that local, what you what you would get getting a board locally made. But yeah, there's quite a lot of tech that goes into it. And from like my perspective, if you want to actually, it's all good and well, like developing this really eco-friendly product, but if the, you have to have like mass market appeal for it to actually have any impact. Because if I was making, as I said before, like the handmade boards and they were four grand each, there's only probably like 1% of the population could afford it. And then I'd only be able to make one board probably a week. And then, you know, that your actual environmental the, the improvements that you're sort of making on the environmental you know, or that on the industry as far as like the environmental side goes is pretty minimal you know Whereas yeah you You've really managed to like scale that impact up by by coming up with processes that that enable that i mean have you had to create these from scratch yourself or some some of them existing processes so the cnc stuff is the whole the, the basic pr- process is completely unique the way that we make them the CNC machine, obviously, I bought that at the rack, but everything else I've had to build, and I've had a lot of help along the way, like like to control the machines and stuff, especially that like 15 access one. That's quite a lot of code and stuff that I don't know how to write. So yeah. I made a board for Rod Drury from Zero, and he had a hackathon coming up, and I sort of showed him this initial concept of the machine that I had built, which I was just at the time was very like rudimentary one that was being controlled by um with a tape measure and a, a battery drill and then i sort of told him how i wanted to automate that and stuff and he organized a team of coders to come along and yeah they wrote all the code for that machine and then sort of refined it over time but yeah it's all pretty unique stuff the plan eventually is to sell those machines and license that whole construction stuff so that other shapers can produce boards that way but we've got a little bit more work to do before we're ready to do that just because we still haven't kind of like a hundred percent nailed it ourselves. But that is so cool that you've you know you've got this real process innovation, and so it's not just about beautifully designed boards and sustainable boards. It's actually how how to do that and and how to do it at scale. It's so cool that you've you've managed to do that. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a it's been a process for sure. But I mean, the reason that those machines are actually even required is because so with like conventional boards they're made from a high density foam and then they're glassed with like usually fiberglass and polyester resin and because fiberglass is like quite a heavy fabric it just it drapes over your board and so you don't actually need any downward pressure to 
to get those two materials to combine. Whereas obviously if you've got like a, a piece of foam that's like in the shape of a surfboard and you've got a, th a flat piece of timber and you want to glue those two together and you just put glue on them and then put the bit of wood on top, obviously it's not going to, you're not going to get a tight bond. So that's when you just have to start getting into like vacuum processes and like vacuum bagging the boards. Yep. But the problem with doing that is you need a mold because if you try and glue the wood to the foam, then the wood will flatten out the foam and you'll lose your curve. So then most guys who make like lots of boards, like in this construction method, they have a mold for every shape they make. But we wanted to do the kind of local custom stuff. So we were like, well, we're going to need like a thousand meter squared factory if we're going to draw all these molds and have enough, you know, make a mold every time we make a board. And then that's when the whole conversation around like reconfigurable tooling came in. We sort of looked at a few other companies that were doing it. There's pretty cool stuff happening with like the sail, like boat sails and stuff. So you can get like custom boat sails and that. And we kind of took some ideas from that and then built our own machine to set the curve and what it means is that you get yeah the, the bottom rocker like is one of the most important parts of a board it determines how the water will flow over the board and you get that wrong you, you can you know no matter what you do your board's going to be pretty average and so that's kind of what we focused on making reconfigurable and then that becomes like a mold that we use for the process of gluing that one particular custom board up and then as soon as that board's done send some code to the machine and we're ready for the next shape you know yeah man next next time i'm down um down in wellington i'll, I'll have to pay you a visit because that that really does sound pretty cool yeah totally man. just going back to the environmental side of things like you're the only gold level eco board manufacturer in new zealand what does that mean well i actually think that might there might be someone else who's got it now i got i was the first i know that much and but i saw a, a picture on instagram the other day i think one of the other shapers in new zealand might have it too so i've got to change that on my website so they've got there's a company in california like or more charity really and they're called um, sustainable surf they're like an initiative that's been started to try and encourage shapers and showcase shapers to both yeah, develop and promote like sustainable surfboard technology and materials and, and stuff like that and they've got two levels of eco boards and the eco board is like a basically like a certification that you have to get and when you make a board using these specific materials you can put that stamp on your board and that's to show everyone that your board's made using sustainable practices and so level one you have to be using uh, bioresin and the your core the core of your board has to be made with 30 percent recycled content and there's a blank manufacturer in California called Marco Foam, and they make um, blanks using 70% 70, 70 virgin foam and then 30% recycled. And it's usually like the offcuts from board manufacturing or packaging and stuff, and they put that back into the blank. And so that's your level one. And then the gold level is like a bit more complicated. You have to be, you have to, like all your lights have to be uh, LEDs um, in your factory. Ideally, they want you to be using like a certain amount of like renewable energy in your factory. You have to show how you dispose of all your waste. You need to be using like an alternative core that's a higher ratio. It's a little bit less, a bit more vague than the level one. And you have to do like a full-on proposal to get it. Like a, I did like a 10-page document showing everything that I was doing to, to get it. And then, yeah, once you get that, they, you're allowed to put that logo on your board. And that sort of shows people that, yeah, this is like... The real deal but i think when they see what we're about to come out with they might have to come out with a um, platinum platinum standard I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> you're rewriting the standards it's yeah. cool that there's a an industry group that's that's sort of leading the way there and I, I think there's other industries that could um learn from that yeah totally man and it's and like they've sort of focused as well on trying to like they've got a website and you can they'll tell you where your closest eco board manufacturer is so if someone's looking for a surfboard and they're not and like that's a big part of 
their, their sort of buying decision that they want it to be sustainable, then you can go on their website and and go through and you know that you're you know buying from a someone who's really making an effort to reduce their yeah. environmental impact. Do you find that people are happy to pay a premium for for an eco board? I think well, in my mind, like, I reckon if if you were making a board that was exactly the same visually and strength-wise and sort of weight-wise, whatever, I think that would be a really hard sell. And you can sort of see it happening in the industry at the moment. There's your PU boards, which are like your most common. They're like the cheapest to produce and stuff and easiest to shape. And then your um, epoxy and uh, polystyrene boards, which are slightly less environmentally damaging. And the difference in price between those two boards is maybe 200 bucks. But at a glance, they look pretty similar. They feel a little bit different in the water. But most people in those circumstances, the boards look the same and sort of have the same structural integrity, then um, it's quite a hard sell. And that's kind of just, well, that's what I've heard. Shapers who I've spoken to. How do you get on with marketing? I mean, making making a product's one thing, but marketing and selling it is it's another. How do you get on with that? Well, I've got a guy now who I work with who does manages all that sort of stuff for me. But in the early days, I was just kind of winging it. Because I was developing something that was kind of quite different, I got quite a lot of free promotion stuff, I guess. So that was kind of like my main marketing because uh, it was never a marketing budget. So like most of it just came from like I got on country calendar once and I get in the news a few times and a few newspaper articles. So that was kind of like my kind of approach. But we're a lot more kind of structured and organized about it now and like a budget for it and stuff. And the guy who is um, I work with, his name's Skip. He's like a pro surfer. Like he used to be a pro surfer when he was a kid. And he's been working in the surfboard industry as a graphic designer for, God knows, like maybe 16 years or something. So heaps of experience. And, and yeah, so he sort of manages all that now. I sort of just focus mostly on the production stuff. Cool. So he, he, know, he knows the market. He knows where to reach people and how to how to talk their language exactly man yeah he's doing a rebrand at the moment which is pretty cool and and it's great for me because i i mean it's not really my strong point it never has been so i just sort of just takes my mind away from that and enables me to focus on the stuff that i'm actually quite good at which is the production side of things and yeah it's got to play to your strengths and work with people who fill the gaps eh? that's yeah totally man i actually have a good story about that uh, guy pick pico who runs the um like picks peanut butter Yep. I met him a few years ago and he's a he's a real cool guy and he's always been like kind of self-employed entrepreneurial but he's sort of never really cracked it and then he started going blind and at the time I think he was doing like teaching kids how to sail obviously when you lose your sight and you've got a dozen kids out in the water it's probably not very good so he had to do something yep. else and then he remembered that his grandma used to make this really delicious peanut butter so he's sort of started making peanut butter in a wheelbarrow on a concrete mixer or something. And then it's the first time and he was like, people started buying it and people loved the peanut butter and it, and it was like obviously going to be like the next thing that he did. But because his, his eyesight was going, like he wasn't really able, like usually he'd do all his own like logos and like come up with his own like, you know, business plan and stuff. But because his eyesight was going, it was the first time that he had to actually start employing people. And he reckons that was like one of the reasons why it's been so successful because he started working with experts in, in their certain fields and stuff. It's quite a learning learning curve for me. That's a cool story. And, and Pick is a, a great guy. He's, he employs a lot of people in Nelson. Oh, man. And, um, Legend. I, I, I think last time I saw him talk, he was talking about opening up like a peanut butter museum where, or factory tours, right? Yeah, so yeah. Next time, next time we're in Nelson, we have to have a look. I guess it would be on hold at the moment, but I'm sure he'll still be doing it. He's a man of his word, for sure. He's, yeah. I had a real good time with him, actually. He's a, he's a really interesting, interesting dude. Hey, speaking of speaking of experts, I noticed you've got this really cool flexi hex packaging that, that you got. What, what's the deal with that? It's like an expandable 
honeycomb cardboard cover that covers surfboards. Yeah, man, it's crazy stuff. So that's um, developed in uh, Cornwall in the UK by a couple of guys. I think they might be twins, actually. And it's, yeah, it's like the ultimate in surfboard packaging. Obviously, like prior to using that, I was coming up with other ways of doing it. But if you imagine you've got a sort of perfect finished surfboard and you've got all this i never use bubble wrap i always use kind of corrugated cardboard and stuff and you're wrapping it around and you're taping it and you've got your little tape dispenser which has like a sharp edge like you're the, the serrated edge on it and then you've got scissors trying to cut the cardboard and get it to kind of conform to the to the shape obviously the smaller you can get that board the less it's going to cost you in freight so you want something that kind of conforms to it i used to spend maybe an hour packing boards up and then I, thought, I saw those guys came up with that stuff and i was like oh that's just the dream material it's it's a lot stronger than than my existing method just purely because of the thickness in it and it's i don't really know how to describe it yeah it's kind of like honeycomb but it's sort of tessellate so yeah it's got two bits of cardboard and they must be maybe three mil thick and, and about 40 mil high and in between is this kind of your yeah, honeycomb mesh made out of recycled cardboard and that's two layers one top and bottom about 20 mil thick and then you pull the cardboard apart and then you get these this perfect sleeve which just slides over the board and then you tape it at the top and the bottom they're only 1100 long so usually you have to join a couple of bits together to cover the whole whole board and then tape it up i always put fragile tape on it i'm trying to find someone who makes like a paper-based fragile tape but yeah put the freight docker on it and away it goes and then all like a 100 recyclable and it kind of folds down pretty nice so it doesn't take up heaps of space you don't end up with lots of bubble wrap bubble wrap or you know like heaps of cardboard and stuff and i've been using it for maybe 18 months and i think i've had one board get damaged which is pretty pretty good yeah that's pretty good yeah i thought it was really cool it's like a well, it's like a giant Chinese lantern, the way it kind of folds out. Yeah, that's a good analogy, man. Yeah. And I think as well, the other thing about it is that because it's so intriguing, the, the courier drivers, instead of just in <laughs> like it's a, you know, a package, they're like, oh, what's that? And they can see the board through the holes in the cardboard. And so they go, oh, that's a, that looks like a nice board and it, it looks really interesting. And so they, they treat it a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving them too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I that, or I've just been real lucky with the carrier drivers because yeah. before I was using this stuff, I was maybe like one in five boards would get damaged. Yeah, nightmare. So if you, you know, if you're anything like me, my design mind is always going crazy with new ideas. You, you got any other interesting projects in the work? Maybe what's what's next for Organic Dynamic? Yeah, so the the R and D stuff that we're working on, the whole rebrand stuff's like been keeping us pretty busy for yeah six months. There's some pretty exciting stuff in there. We decided that we were going to instead of like drip feed it out, we're just going to launch everything at once. And so we're working on a um, plant based foam um, core, and we're running trials of that. Hopefully this month, we're working with an organic hemp fiber. We're doing some stuff with cork natural earth pigments so we're trying to like figure out ways we can color our boards and give people the chance of personalizing them visually using like a, a natural color pigment and they're looking awesome man it's so sick yeah natural earth pigments from these like quarries in europe and stuff so these really nice like natural earth tones and then yeah full rebrand one of the things that's prompted that is that this foam that we're working working with is made using like cornstarch but the corn is grown using gmo like processes and stuff and obviously with the name organic whilst now our boards aren't like you know obviously 100 organic that was kind of like more of an aspirational thing but yeah. as we start kind of changing the sort of business model a bit and the materials that we're using we want to make sure that we're more transparent in that sort of respect so we're going to do a, do a rebrand and that's all looking really really nice probably 
couple of weeks away from finishing that. And yeah. And so that's kind of our next big thing. And once that's done, the sort of the fundamentals of the product from the sustainability point of view will be the same. And you can still buy like the construction that we do now with difference would only be like the the core. But then we've got these always new constructions which are both cheaper to produce. We get like a lighter board that's got like a um, more flex in it, so it's better suited for like competitive sort of style of surfing. And so we'll be hopefully appealing to a much broader market and making the boards a lot more accessible, and but still maintaining or actually improving those environmental kind of credentials. That's super exciting, man, and it's it's so good that you're investing in in R and D. Yeah, so man. vital, right? It's been great. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's it's sort of hard to juggle R and D in production. So one of the sort of benefits that's come from this whole lockdown sort of thing is that it's given us time to kind of think about things and do things a little bit differently and then the next uh, once we get all that done then we're going to start sort of to try and do more collaborations with other shapers and invite guys to come down and spend a couple of weeks with us and make a batch of boards for the local guys down here and and that's i think going to be like for me like probably the most like the biggest kind of like move towards that kind of sustainable manufacturing because instead of just like us kind of taking our little corner of the market and and selling boards to the customers we're actually like involving the wider shaping community and other board manufacturers and i think that's kind of like to to build a sustainable business you kind of have to involve you know other people and help other people change the way that they make boards or make a product it's really it's really empowering right it's it's more than just making and shipping products it's it's involving community and and empowering others to to scale their vision yeah man totally and it's and it's cool as well because it's like it means that people can, um, like the local guys in Wellington, they can meet shapers from around New Zealand and other parts of the world, like guys who they kind of see on Instagram and be like, oh, that board looks real nice. I wish I could get those here, you know, and it's sort of, and they, you know, everyone wins. So can you give any advice to some young New Zealand designers who want to start their own adventure and, you know, make a positive impact? What's some advice you can share? I think just take it, I mean, from the business side of things, I think just to take it sort of slow and steady and, and just do follow the process, you know, like get your product right and then, you know, make sure you, you sort of get your, make sure your product's good. That's like the, the first part. This is assuming that they're in the manufacturing space. Slowly sort of transition your, your full-time job or whatever it is that they're doing at the moment into, you know, phase it out, you know, don't rush it. Like there's lots of, lots of people I see who have real good ideas and they sort of try and launch too soon. And I mean, I think with like software, for example, there's this whole mentality um, of minimum viable product. Where you get yep. you make you make an app and it's real basic, kind of has basic function, but it might have a few flaws. You get it out there, you sort of see what people think, and then you update it, and that works great in the sort of tech space because you can just send out an update and on their phone can update it and hunky dory. But in the sort of manufacturing space, which I imagine is sort of where most sustainable businesses will be, sort of focusing their energy. Um, it's really important to get that product right because if you say, for example, make a product and you claim it's sustainable, but it only ma- only lasts three ma- three months, whereas the, the existing norm lasts three years, then A, you're going to have a bunch of unhappy customers and then B, your whole brand's like main focus is kind of sabotaged, you know? Been a bit lost, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's just a case of like taking time. I mean, for me personally, like I, I was two years before I sold a board i made boards for people and gave them away but i didn't take any money from anyone for a board for for about two years from when i sort of initially started developing the current construction that i work with and that's like painful you know like to be doing something and putting all this time and not getting paid for it but i think long term you know you're better off 
definitely. But if you if you believe in something and and you're focused on that vision, you've got to be patient. You've got to be persistent, and and in the long run, it'll pay off. Yeah, it looks like it has paid off. Totally. For you, what's what is success for you, Jack? Well, at the moment, well, it's just trying to get the business to sort of the point where it's kind of just sort of ticking away, like, and it's not like a constant kind of grind to get things to the next level. So I'm just sort of getting, trying to get it set up into the point. It's like, you know, I work 40 hours a week, you know, earn a good living and everyone that's involved in the business is like really passionate and like stoked to be involved in it. That's kind of like the current focus and obviously getting the environmental stuff done, but that's kind of grunt work's already done there. And just being able to spend some time in the weekends with my family and have some more kids and surf. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, man. Hey, it's been really awesome chatting to you. And um, next time I'm I'm down your way, I'd love to come and visit. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, anytime. We've got heaps of, uh, we've got a good brewery down the road and a few spare boards. So make a day of it. Sure. Nice one, Ollie. Thanks. Uh, I've, actually, I've actually never surfed. Wow. There's <laughs> a first for everything, mate. Well, thank yeah. you. Not a bad place to learn. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, that's great, man. Just thanks for having me. Yeah, choice. Um, it's been a pleasure. Your stuff. Thank you. Cheers, Jack. Cheers, Ollie. Thanks, mate.